So <clears throat> this morning, um, I feel like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who have had a rough time lately. Uh, we talked about this during prayer time this morning, and um, a lot of people have had a rough time. A lot of people are in the midst of trauma, in, in the midst of just a really difficult season of life. And a lot of us have trauma in our past and um, hurts that we've had that have caused us to, um, you know, it's, it's kind of shaped the way we've lived our lives. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today. Before we get started um, with the message, though, I would be remiss, in my opinion, to, um, to not start off this morning um, just remembering the, uh, the, the people who have made the ultimate sacrifice for us in this country. Um, and, uh, and it's Memorial Day. We remember those people uh, who gave their lives for our freedom. Um, at the same time, I would like to just take some time to remember the, uh, the, the families in Texas right now who are going through uh, an extremely difficult time losing their child. I can't imagine uh, going through that type of pain. Um, so I'd just like to take a, a moment here, um, a couple moments of silence, and I'm going to pray. Uh, just over over the, that crowd of people, and then we're going to get started with our message this morning. So let's take uh, a few moments of silence. Father, um, we thank you for the, the men and women in, in our country who have paid the ultimate price and, and, and died so that we can have freedom um, just serving our country. And uh, this weekend, and Memorial Day weekend, just help us uh, to remember it's not just a day off work tomorrow. Uh, it's a day for us to remember those people and to be thankful for their sacrifice. Um, and we, uh, we just take time now to thank you for that. God, um, there's a whole lot of families in Texas right now who, who are hurting, who, who lost their children um, for just a, just a um, pointless act of, of violence uh, for no reason. And um, God, we just, we just pray over those families right now. Um, it's going to be a long time before they feel whole again. They may never feel that way. Um, and God, I just pray that you would fill that hole in their hearts with your love. Um, do whatever you can to comfort those families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I just dropped a pen. It's okay. I wasn't going to use it, so we're okay. Um, so this morning we are going to um, we're gonna talk about trauma, <laughs> uh, which is, it's, it's funny how God tends to do this, where, like, he puts a topic um, on someone's heart. This happens all the time, I think, uh, here at this church, and He'll put a he'll put a topic on your heart to preach. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, everyone else that morning is kind of having that same thing on their heart, you know. And to me, this is uh, this is one of those mornings. Um, so, for those of you who know me well, you can look up on the screen 
and you'll see a picture from a scene in my favorite movie. Um, I've said this before from this state. Now this might keeps cutting on in and out, um, but uh, I've said this plenty of times um, before that Forrest Gump is my favorite movie. Okay, like if you want, um, you want to you want to laugh. It's a comedy. It's actually listed as a comedy, which is kind of funny uh, when you look it up online. But uh, if you want to laugh, you can laugh. If you want. Uh, to cry, you're probably going to cry. Uh, if you want a war movie, there's war. If you want sports, there's sports. Like literally, history. If you like, if you like anything involving history, this is a great movie. Obviously, Forrest Gump was not actually involved in all those acts of history that are in the movie, but it's just a really fun way to retell this history of our country. Um, so, I love the movie. It's a great movie. But this scene in particular um, is a scene where Jenny is standing in front of the house that she grew up in, okay? They're, they're going for a walk together, uh, Forrest and Jenny. I'm not going to tell their whole story. You guys, if you've seen the movie, you know it. Um, but spoiler alert, I might kind of ruin the end of the movie right, right now. So just, you know, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so Jenny and, and Forrest are kind of going for a walk. And Jenny happens to walk upon the house she grew up in, which is the house in the background right here. Uh, Jenny faced a lot of trauma in her life. Uh, she was physically abused, um, and uh, the insinuation is that it could even have been sexual abuse from her own father, okay? Um, and this is the house she grew up in with a father who abused her her entire life. So she walks up, and she sees this house, and she starts just throwing rocks at it. So my message today is sometimes, I guess, there just aren't enough rocks, um, Forrest Gump says this at the end of the scene. I'm actually going to play the scene real quick for you, uh, just because I think it's a really powerful scene. Uh, Robin Wright, who plays Jenny, just does an amazing job of just like showing the emotion of her trauma that she went through as a child and how it's still affecting her as an adult. Um, so let's uh, let's take a look at this scene. So so basically, what happens is Jenny Jenny runs up to the like towards the house. And like she has this, she's really emotional. You can see in her face she, how emotional she is. And she just picks up rocks and she even throws her shoes at the house. And she just, she's just throwing everything she has at this house, everything around her. Uh, and then she just collapses. Um, if you go back to that picture, um, if you can, with, uh, with her and, and Forrest. She just collapses there on the ground and she's just, she's just weeping. And Forrest just walks up and he just sits down next to her and you hear him, he's, he narrates the entire movie, you know, so you hear him just say kind of in the background, sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, unfortunately, Jenny is a, is a sad story. So like I said, I'm going to ruin it for you if you've never seen the movie. I apologize in advance. Um, Jenny faced this trauma in her life. It changed who she was, Right. Once, as soon as she was able to, she left home. She ran away, right? And she went through this whole season in her life, like her entire life, where she was running from God, right? She was seeking um, this, this, to fill this hole that was in her heart with whatever she could find. Drugs, with men, um, with, with just anything that she could, she could find. And you see several times throughout the movie where her and Forrest reconnect. And she's in the middle. And like Forrest always loved her. You know, and one of the other famous lines from this movie is Forrest says to her, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And she is, uh, she, she is basically her entire life ran from, from her situation at home, ran from Forrest, ran from God, 
right? Um, and so the end of the movie, the whole movie is him sitting on a bench telling his story, right? And, uh, and so then the end of the movie, basically what happens is he goes to see her, finds out they actually have a child together he didn't know about, you know? And, um, and so then he ends up, like, bringing her back to live with him in the house he grew up in um, because she's sick, right? And, um, and she tells him, you know, I'm, I'm sick. And they, and they didn't really insinuate. They kind of insinuated what it was. They didn't tell you exactly what it was, some sort of virus. Um, a lot of people think that it was probably HIV, right? Which the sad story here is she ran from God and ran from home and ran from force and ran from her situation, really ran from the trauma that she faced. Uh, and she, she, because of the consequences of her actions, or because of her actions, she had the consequence of it made her sick and ultimately ended up killing her, you know? Um, so if you've seen the movie before, it's, it's, a, it's a super sad ending to, to the story, but there is hope in the story as well. Um, today, what I'm going to do is we're going to actually talk through the story of Joseph. Uh, so we're going to read, I'm not putting it on the screen, I'm just putting the, the reference on the screen, Genesis 37, and we're going to read through that. And we're going to talk through the story of Joseph. Joseph, if you guys aren't familiar with him, faced a lot of trauma in his life, right? And, um, and he's a situation where, opposite of Jenny, he had a, uh, a pretty good outcome to his life. He actually, God actually ended up using his trauma to redeem his people. Uh, his family, which is a, a beautiful end to his story, but it doesn't negate the fact that he had a lot of trauma and a lot of things go wrong along the way. Um, so we're going to read Genesis 37 together, if I can get my iPad to cooperate here. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to it or on your phone, however you want to do that. Um, Genesis 37. Uh, so we're going to start verse 1, just read the whole thing all the way through, um, because it's a, it's a good story here. Uh, So Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. So first off, this is not a great thing to say to someone. Because they're obviously going to be like, who do you think you are, right? So he's in a situation now where his brothers are like, what, who is this guy? Like he, already our father likes him more than us, loves him more than us. And now he's telling us that we're going to bow to him? Man, and that made them really mad. Honestly, kind of rightfully so, right? Um, So his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing to me, bowing down to me. When he told his fathers and all his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, 
But his father kept the matter in mind. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, they said. he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned, the cistern to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the rope in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, this is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So here's where we're at in this story. Uh, Obviously, we're recounting some of Joseph's trauma that he went through, and this is the first one, okay? He was, and then, and the connotation here is that they didn't just, like, place him down into this hole and, like, hold him there, right? The connotation is they beat him. So, like, they beat him and abused him, threw him down into this hole, and essentially were leaving him for dead, okay? And then they got the idea, well, here comes some people that we can sell him to, right? We can sell him as a slave. So, they literally sold him as a slave to these people that were passing by, right? So then 
he has, like, Jacob has, or uh, Joseph has a story. It's kind of a rise and fall story, right? So he's, you know, he's his father's favorite. He's telling these dreams where he's, like, better than all them, and everyone's going to bow down to him, right? And then all of a sudden now he's beaten, thrown into a hole, and then sold into slavery. That's a pretty big low, right? Like, you sold into slavery. You're in a foreign land that you've never seen. You're away from your family, and you've lost everything you have, even this great, like, beautiful, expensive robe that he's wearing. Um, and, and so he goes from, from, uh, from this place of being a slave in Potiphar's house to eventually becoming the head of Potiphar's household. Like, he is in charge of everything. He makes all the decisions for Potiphar, uh, and he is, like, I mean, he's his number two guy. And Potiphar's a pretty, like, important guy in, in Egypt, right? So he's got a pretty prominent role. Like, he can do pretty much anything he wants to do. Uh, and he's living in, in a life of probably what was luxury because he ran the whole household. So he got to experience some of that luxury himself, right? So he's at a pretty good place in life. And we're not going to read all the scriptures all the way through to Genesis 45 because we would be sitting here reading for a long time. Um, so I'm just going to kind of like, you know, essentially recap that story for you. Um, so basically he's, he's the head of Potiphar's household. And then if you guys know the story, you know what happens next. Uh, the, the Bible actually tells us that Joseph was a really good looking guy, right? Um, so Potiphar's wife was like, man, I am interested in that guy. So she tries to seduce him. And you know the story. He, he literally takes off his robe. A lot of, Joseph had a lot to do with robes. You know, it's just like this whole thing about robes in his life. But he literally take, takes off his robe and he just leaves it there, like right where they were at when she was trying to like seduce him and just runs away, right? Like, I mean, honestly, what a great dude to do that, right? Like in that moment where like this, this powerful, probably beautiful woman is trying to seduce him and he's just like, no. I will not betray Potiphar by doing that to him. And he just runs away. And so basically what happens is Potiphar's wife essentially accuses him of trying to rape him, right? Or rape her. So this is a situation where he is doing the right thing and then she turns around and makes this false accusation against him. And so Potiphar's mad and he believes his wife, which I mean, most guys would probably do that in that situation. And he throws him into prison. Okay, so again, head of Potiphar's household in a really good place, and then boom, back down to, the, to this valley, this horrible place. He's in prison, and things are going really bad. So then, um, you know, he spends some time in prison. I mean, my guess is several years. This, like, things like this don't happen overnight. You don't get there, and then the next day, the, the warden of the prison makes you in charge of everyone makes makes you his second in command that doesn't happen overnight and the same thing with being in slavery at Potiphar's house it didn't happen overnight he had to work probably years and years and years to get through to the point where he was Potiphar's second in command and then the same thing happens to him again at the prison he becomes the warden second in command he places him in charge of everyone in the prison um, and so he has this place of prominence in the prison he's still a prisoner but he's now in charge of everyone at the prison. Again, rising to a place of power, rising to a place where he has influence. And so um, if you guys know the story, uh, some, some, of, uh, some of Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, um, some of his servants get thrown into prison with him. And they have these dreams, and he's interpreting their dreams, right? 
Um, and then, you know, what ends up happening is later on, again, several years probably passing, they go back to, to work under Pharaoh, and, and then what ends up happening is Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. And so then they tell him, they tell them about Joseph. They're like, there's this guy in prison that can interpret your dreams. And so, long story short, he ends up going to work for Pharaoh, right? He goes and interprets his dreams, and he works for him. And basically, he comes to be second in command again. You know, this is a, a rise and fall situation. This is the third time this has happened where he's come second in command to someone that's super powerful. So he becomes second in command in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. So he's now, he's now literally like the assistant to the king, essentially. Um, if you guys watch the office, like assistant to the regional manager. But like, he's like, he's got this place of power, right? He is, he is the assistant underneath the king. Like he's the next most important guy. And he calls a lot of shots and uh, makes all the decisions. And it's, uh, it's, it's this place of power. So um, we get to a situation where Joseph has a dream about a famine that's coming. And so he does a smart thing with it. It's, it's you know, several years of famine and then, or several years of plenty and then several years of, of famine. And so what he does is he prepares for that. In, in the land of Egypt, he takes and stores all this extra food so that they'll have enough to get through the years of famine, right? And so in this situation, he's smart enough to take what God had told him and do that. And so then we get to Genesis 45, and where we pick up there in Genesis 45 is this place where his brothers are hungry. They don't have any food because there's a famine in the land. And so they go to Egypt because they hear that there's food there. And they go there to see what they can do to get some food, right? Um, so they go to him, and, and again, I'm fast-forwarding through a big part of the story. You guys can read it sometime because it's a, it's a really interesting story. Um, but they essentially go to him to get some food. And, um, and Joseph kind of plays this little game with him. Honestly, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know that I wouldn't have done the same thing, but it's almost like he's kind of toying with them a little bit. And he, like, you know, sends them off and then gets some people to go and get them and bring them back and essentially frames one of them for stealing. You know, it's like this whole, this whole thing. But he ends up in a place where he's standing there with his brothers in the palace. And it's like, you know, he basically can't, can't hold it in any longer. He has to tell them, I'm your brother, right? And he's been probably going on now for, I would say, a month or two. I mean, it wasn't just a small, it wasn't a short period of time. He's been like fooling them for a while now. And so he finally has to tell them who he is. So we're going to pick up in Genesis 45, if you're reading along. Um, just skip forward a, a few chapters there. And we're going to pick up there and read the rest of his story. Genesis 45, verse 1 says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I would be too. If, if I sold my brother into slavery and all of a sudden now it's this guy that literally controls whether or not I get food. Um, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. 
But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says to me. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father all about the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin braced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan. And bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Israel is Jacob. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with the grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on your way. I think that's kind of funny. Um, so So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry them back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So that's the end of where we're going to read today. Um, a couple things I want to point out there about what, what uh, happens in that moment. I think there's a, really, a couple of really interesting things to note here. Um, first of all, there was a lot of time that went by from the time that he was sold into slavery until the time he sent those carts back to pick up his father and bring him back to Egypt, right? A lot of time. So things like this don't happen overnight. And the biggest encouragement, if you don't get anything else I say today, is in the midst of your trauma, in the midst of your difficult times, just know that it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. And that's hard. That's hard to hold on to. It's hard to know that. And it's hard to find joy, even in the midst of those trials. But just know that it's going to take some time. And then second of all, Jacob, it says here, he was revived when he heard that his son was still alive. So what that means is literally he was mourning for all these years, right? He was in mourning. And so it's okay. It's okay to mourn 
It's okay to be, like Jessica said earlier, in a season of lament. And we can sing songs of lament, but we can also try to find joy along the way. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And those are a couple things to point out about the timeline and about what happened in Jacob's life. But I want to point out three things that I noticed in the story of Joseph. Um, and so these are, these are three things. These are more encouragements. Right now, I think you're in uh, a couple possible places, right? Maybe you're in the middle of a trauma, a difficult season, a difficult part of your life. You're in the middle of this hard time. And I want to encourage you that these are things that you can, you can act through right now in the middle of your trauma. Maybe the second option is that you've, and this should be probably everyone in this room, um, has had some sort of trauma, some sort of hard situation in their past, mistakes that they have made, you know, mistakes that, mistakes that you have, things that you've done wrong, right? And these are things in your past that, that can either define who you become in the future or they can change who you become for the better, right? And so you, you're in one of these two places, I would believe. Maybe there's a third person here who's like, I don't really have trauma. Everything's been great for me my entire life. And if that's you, don't, don't, tell, us, don't tell us who you are because we're all going to want to throw you into a cistern as well. So, um, <laughs> so I, think, I think we're all in a place of trauma, current trauma, or we're in a place where we have past trauma that has affected us, right? Um, so three things that we can learn from the story of Joseph. Number one, Never give up. Never give up. And that's on the slide here. Um, so there are a lot of phrases that I could have picked for this like point that I'm making. I could have said failure is not an option. Um, if you guys know that from Apollo 13 mission, uh, Gene Kranzen. And I wish that, uh, that one of my kids, Drew, was here because he's like, he just loves space. That's what he loves. So he would be like sitting over there smiling from ear to ear right now if he was here. Um, failure is not an option. I could have said I could use the Nike catchphrase, just do it, right? I could have said that. Um, I could have used the Lance Armstrong phase, which is pain is temporary, but quitting lasts forever. Um, I could have used like this, this uh, church phrase that a lot of people use, which is if you didn't have some test, then you wouldn't be able to have a testimony. I love that. I love that. Um, and then I went with never give up. Know what that's from. You're probably a sports and that's, and that's super important to me. So I like sports. So I use this. So Jimmy V, you guys know that name? If, you, if you're not a sports fan, you probably know the name Jimmy V, Jimmy Valvano, right? Uh, he was a coach at NC State, a legendary coach, won a national title there. They're only one they've ever won. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Duke fan, so, you know, we've won several. We're just used to winning championships. But NC State, they're not to it. They've only won one. You know, exactly, exactly. I mean, Nicole is a graduate of NC State, so I have to kind of like, you know, support NC State. But, you know, this guy right here, he's the, he's only, he's the only one to ever win one there. So um, Jimmy V, uh, he, if you guys know his story, um, he is famous for many quotes along the way. But this picture right here is when he gave a speech at the ESPYs when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Okay, so he was about to die. And if I had thought ahead of time and had enough time to do this, we could have watched the whole speech. But it's 11 minutes long, so I was like, no, we're probably not going to do that. Um, but he, he does this amazing thing um, in that speech. He, he says so many great like, lines that you can tweet, lines that you can put on a poster. Uh, but he ends the entire thing by saying, never give up, 
never, ever give up. And it's this powerful, powerful moment of, of just saying, hey, in the midst of this trauma, this guy had terminal cancer and was about to die. And he knew his days were numbered. He knew it was coming soon. And even in the midst of all that, this guy never gave up. And he, and he not only didn't give up, he encouraged other people not to give up as well. And for me, in the middle of all, all of our trauma and all of the things that we've been through, if we can get to a place where we choose to never give up, it can change your whole trajectory of your life. Um, I said this during our prayer time, and uh, again, our prayer time also kind of, kind of reflected towards the message that we're, we're, we're looking at today. Uh, but during our prayer time, I said, the only thing that you have control over is your perspective, okay? You, can't, you can control some of your circumstances, but there are some things that have happened to you in your past that you cannot control. There are some hurts that you've experienced that you cannot fix, that you cannot change. The only thing that you can control moving forward is your perspective. You can wake up every day and you can choose to focus on those traumas of your past. Or you can wake up every day and you can choose to try to choose joy even in the middle of your traumas. You can, you can focus on that. And at this church over the we've had a theme of, um, of it's not choosing joy. Right? It's something that takes time. It's like a farmer cultivating for crops and and you can you can yield that that um your, your produce of joy over time right um but it takes time and it takes a lot of work to choose joy it's not just a choice that you make it's it's a, a lot of work over time cultivating joy um and here at the vineyard one of our mottos uh, for for not just this church but just vineyards across the nation uh, one of our mottos is faith is spelled r-i-s-k the, the Vineyard Church podcast, like the, the big one that they have um, for like the national director. Uh, and he was interviewing a guy who's a vineyard pastor down in Hawaii. Um, and he said that he doesn't like this phrase. He likes it to be spelled T-R-Y. Faith is spelled T-R-Y. They're very similar, risk and try. The point is, faith always involves action, right? When you, when you have faith, you have to move forward. You have to find a way to, to just try something. And sometimes you're in a place where you don't know where you're going. You know, like, like it, when, when God originally Egypt with Moses, they didn't know where they were going. They were just putting one, front, one foot in front of the other, and they were just walking. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, they, and, like, yeah, they didn't have, they didn't have ways. They didn't have GPS. They didn't, they didn't have any, any, any way to figure out where they were going. Right? They just kept walking. Right? But faith is to keep on trying. Keep on trying. If you just stay there and focus on your past, you're never going to be able to move forward. Right? You're never going to be able to move forward. Um, 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I think if we remember this, when we're faced with our traumas, our current traumas or our past traumas, uh, we remember that it is a fight. It is a race. It is, it is something that we have to build endurance for to get through our difficulties in life. But my, my hope for everyone in this room, for this community, is that we can keep the faith and then we can get through all of our traumas and all of our difficult times. So that's our first point. Our uh, first point is never give up. 
in this journey. Second point, God can still use you. He can still use you right now where you are. And listen, you might think right now that you are in a place where you've done too many bad things, where, you, where, where you've been too hurt. You've had too many bad things happen to you, right? And you might think that, well, God can't use me. Like, why would God choose to use me? I'm broken. I'm unqualified. But I want you to remember something today. God has a history of using broken and unqualified people. That's going to be on the screens here. God has a history of using broken and unqualified people. Listen to this list of people in the Bible that God used. Abraham was a liar, and he was, quote-unquote, too old. God still used him. Sarah was impatient. God used her, and he used the two of them to form the nation of Israel. Noah was a drunk, right? Moses had a speech impediment and was a murderer. Joseph was abused. Job went bankrupt. Elijah was suicidal. Gideon lived in fear. Esther was an orphan. Samson struggled with lust. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. Jacob was a cheater and a liar. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small, and he cheated people as a tax collector. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Peter denied Christ three times, and he had a horrible temper. And Paul was a persecutor of Christians before his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Now, God used all those people... And we read these stories about them, and we think that they are heroes in our Bible. And they are. But they all had their traumas, and they all had their problems. And if God can still use those people, he can still use you. No matter what, he can still use you today. Still, after all you've been through, you're not broken. You're not unqualified. Let him use you. 2 Corinthians twelve nineteen said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Notice in this verse, Paul doesn't say, I boast in my former weaknesses. Or I, I, you know, I got rid of all those problems. And now that I've gotten my life collected and I'm, I'm back together, God can use me. No, what Paul says is I boast in my weaknesses that I have right now. Because God still chooses to use me in his, and it's his power, not me. It's his power, right? And so I love that even Paul, who wrote half our New Testament, right? This, this guy who is a, a hero and a giant in our faith talks about how he has all these weaknesses and how God still chooses to use him despite those. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Looking back on that list, you know, a lot of people think, man, like I'm struggling through this mental, mental illness, mental health issues, well, Elijah was suicidal. He was suicidal and God still used him as a prophet. Um, the bottom line here is that God can still use you right where you are in the middle of your weaknesses. The middle of your weaknesses. And if you're nothing else I say today, that's the one that you want to take home with you. God can use you right, right now. Like, obviously, we hope that, that God would continue to change you and help you improve who you are and become more, more like him over time. But you know what? He can use you right now where you're at. 
Don't let yourself fall victim to that lie that God can't use you because you're not qualified. You're not good enough. All right. And then our last point, and then we will get things wrapped up here in just a second. Um, last point is put down your rocks. Put down your rocks. You know, Jenny's standing in front of that house. We're going back to that story, right? And Jenny's standing there, and she's throwing these rocks. And then Forrest says that line, you know, sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. And here's the thing. If you carry around all these rocks, if you've been through our, our Good Friday, um, you know, event that we do here, Journey to the Cross, you carry this rock the entire time around through that. And it's this weight in your hand. And like by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, man, why, why am I still carrying this around, right? And the thing is, we often in our lives, we go through our lives blaming what we've done right now in our, in our everyday life on something that happened 20 or 30 years ago, right? Like we're blaming our, our actions on that. And the bottom line is we can continue to carry around those rocks and we can continue to cast that blame or we can put them down and we can move on with our lives, right? And yes, it's okay to sit grief. It's okay to worship and lament. And it's okay to go through that like Jacob did, right? But there comes a time when you have to finally say, I'm putting this rock down and I'm moving forward. And I'm not going to let this trauma that I had in my past define who I'm going to be from this point forward in my life. And I think that when a, when a preacher gets up and preaches, you know, and says things that, um, you know, that, that God's laid on their heart, it's usually because, like, that's something that they need to work on, too. And a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't realize that. Like, I can sit up here and say that, like, I'm perfect, and, like, I've laid down my rocks, and guess what? I haven't, you know? I need, this is, this is something I need probably just as much or more than anyone in this audience right now. Like, I need to lay down my rocks, okay? Um, what I will say is this. Focus on your, on your past will always dictate your future. It's okay to, to look at the past, to learn from it, but you need to put down your rocks and you need to move forward, right? Imagine if, you, if you're looking back at the past and you're trying to move forward, how are you going to do that? You're like, have you ever tried to walk in a straight line backwards? It's really hard. You don't end up walking straight. You end up veering off, right? Unless you have a line to walk on or something. But like the bottom line is you're not going to be able to do that. Imagine getting in your car right now and saying, I'm going to go home. Space. And then you just leave it in reverse and you just back out of the, the driveway. You go all the way up to the light and you're in reverse and then you go out onto the road out here and you're in reverse and you drive all the way home in reverse. First of all, can anybody here do that? Like maybe, maybe there's some really good drivers. It would take, it would take, you'd have to go pretty slow, right? Um, you might cause a hazard to other people around you on the road. Um, and, uh, and it would be really hard. Like it would be really hard. Uh, if you have a backup camera, that's great. But like still, you have to kind of look back a lot. It's going to be really difficult to drive home in reverse. It's the same thing and the way we live our lives, right? Carrying around those rocks and going through our, our lives focused on our pa past traumas. You're not going to be able to move forward the best way possible. You might be able to move forward, but it's going to be really hard. And you're going to cause some uh, obstructions in the road to people around you. 
right? Along the way, you're going to hurt other people if you keep carrying that trauma. Um, and, that, and that's something we often don't think about when we carry that around. We don't think about how it affects the people around us that love us. Um, so, so put down your rocks. Uh, Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Guys, you have to put down the rocks if you're going to move forward in your life. So three things to recap real quick. Um, I'm going to throw them up on the screen again. So never give up. Three things to learn from the story of Joseph. Never give up. Never, ever give up. Keep, keep trying. Just try. Remember, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled T-R-Y. Okay? Keep trying something. And then two, God can still use you right where you're at. You are not, you are not at a point where you are not good enough. You're not unqualified. You're not broken. You might have some things that you have to work through, but God can still use you right now in your broken state. And then three, put down your rocks. Don't focus on that past trauma. Don't let it define who you are moving forward. Let, let it change you for the better and then leave those rocks behind you and move forward with your life.